We are here today not about information. We are here today about transformation. And not only are we here today about transformation in our own lives, in our own worlds, in our own community, but all of God's people throughout the world are about transformation. Seeing Jesus Christ transform people from their brokenness to wholeness and to hope and to purpose. If you want purpose in life, you dial in to what God's doing around the world. Beginning in your own home, beginning in your neighborhood, beginning in this valley, and to the other most parts of the world. When Jesus calls my name, when Jesus calls my name, I need to come to Him. When Jesus calls my name for His purpose, I need to go for Him. When Jesus calls your name, all I can say is respond. It's interesting with that Alliance clip of that Alliance worker, Sue. She was actually a classmate in graduate school of mine. And many people I've come across in my life, I now know as people who are on the mission field in the States, wherever it may be, even individuals in business and marketplace, who are there for the sole purpose of being able to see transformation happen in the lives of people. And I trust today that if that's you standing in the need of transformation, that the Spirit, as we have prayed, and as we have worshipped, and as we have saw testimony of, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ can touch your life. When Jesus calls my name, we've gone through a few names in this series. We've been identifying specific people that Jesus got a hold of and people that Jesus used their name. We looked at Mary, Mary Magdalene, by the empty tomb. We looked at Zacchaeus, who had climbed a tree to see Jesus. And we looked last week into the home of Martha and Mary when Jesus called Mary out, or Jesus called Martha out as it relates to servanthood and commending, but yet Mary, her sister, was commended even more so for wanting to be at the feet of Jesus. So today, I should take a vote. Who do you want to fill in the blank with today from Scripture? There's different places, there's different names. What name do you think you'll fill in? Maybe your name should be filled in there and we could just. Talk about your faith story, what God's doing. But we are going to look at Peter, or otherwise known as Simon. When Jesus calls our name, he's calling us to several things. We are called by Jesus himself. We are called to Jesus to be in relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him. But when we are called by Jesus to Jesus, we are called to obedience, to obey. Not because God's about a bunch of rules to ruin your joy, but because God knows how life needs to be fixed. How many of you like to put things together without looking at the instructions? It's a challenge. I think it's a little demeaning to me that they have to give such step-by-step instructions. Guess what I've learned over the years? It's best to go by the instructions. Because you get down the road and you forgot a part that should have been in place. Well, God knows how your life needs to be put together. And so his instructions in this book here, his holy scriptures, are for obedience, but obedience unto your joy and fulfillment, not un- obedience unto your demise or restriction. And then we are called to serve, as we looked at briefly last week. We're going to look at something this morning that's not that easy to look at. 
Because when you're called by Jesus, called to Jesus, called to obedience and called to serve, guess what? There's something that comes on the horizon pretty quick if you're all out seeking to be a Christ follower in relationship with him. And that is we are called to suffer. What? Suffer? That's the last thing I want to do. I want to avoid suffering in my life. I'm there. But I think a lot of times, and especially in Christian circles, we do not have a healthy theology of suffering and that we need to understand that suffering is a part of this life until Jesus comes again can be used by him. And so when we look at Simon Peter today, we are going to see Jesus not telling him that he wasn't going to suffer or that he wasn't under attack. And so today's passage actually takes place in the upper room. When Jesus shares uh, about the body, that it was going to be broken and the blood that would be shed and that he was was going to uh, go to a death, they didn't fully understand that. They were resisting it. But it's a quaint, quite moment in that upper room there in Jerusalem of Passion Week. And Jesus is, is sharing not only the meal, but he is sharing out of his very life. And he's looking into the eyeballs of each and every disciple that's gathered around. They're not seated in chairs around a table. They usually lounged around a low-lying table. And he's just looking and sharing into their eyes. And this is where this scene takes place. In Luke 22, verse 20, it says this. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. We know it today as being the one who is called Judas. His hand was on the table with Jesus. Here's Jesus in this quaint moment looking in their eyes, going around. And and he didn't call Judas out by name here. But can you imagine Judas knowing what he already knew where he betrayed Jesus with 30 pieces of silver and that that night was going to unfold the way it had in his mind. Here's Jesus calling him by name. But how much of a deep, deep conviction that would have been. Even without using his name, there is one who's around here who's going to betray me. And Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, went out and he hung himself. He didn't even make it through to see Jesus crucified. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Don't you love this? Here they are in this quaint moment. And they're discussing things and... One person says to them, I, I think that I'll be closer to Jesus when all said and done than you. I'll be a little bit greater than you. They were trying to one-up one another a little bit. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Friends, Jesus brought in a radical transition in the understanding of what it means to be a leader. If you want to lead, don't stand up and try to get all the accolades, get your name pushed up the list, just serve. And Jesus came to show them servant leadership 
Ended up laying down his very life for other people. Have you been involved in some tasks this very week where you're like, why am I doing this? We had another uh, opportunity to serve um, a family in the church yesterday uh, in a Ruta group. And, and as I'm cleaning and pulling weeds, I'm thinking about this message. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, continue to work in my life the disposition of a servant leader. And so here's Jesus instructing all the way to the very end. The night before the cross. And then these words. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Strong lesson. You're called by Jesus. You're called to Jesus. You're called to Obey, you're called to serve. So pick up the mantle, pick up the towel, pick up the hoe, pick up the cleaning cloths, pick up your schedule and put it down at Jesus' feet and say, how do you want to order my week to serve you and your purposes? Maybe it's just going to visit a lady who sells noodles in Thailand, right? God wants to use us. But then this transition. Are you those who have stood with me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? As he continues this intimate conversation, he doesn't dismiss the idea of greatness. But he identifies this idea of greatness with himself and with his kingdom and what's coming about. Can you imagine the the mountain peak that sort of this was a moment for the disciples going, whoa, his kingdom's now going to come. We knew he was the Messiah. And Jesus affirms that they were going to be a part of that kingdom and that they would be judging the, the 12 tribes of Judah. I mean, that's historical history for the Hebrew person. And the whole concept was this idea that in his kingdom to come, that they would rule and reign with him. But they did not see the valley between these two mountains. The mountain of of him declaring that he was the Messiah and the mountain when he would establish his physical reign in a new heaven and a new earth. The valley is what we live in during these years called the church age. When Satan is still alive and active, Jesus has won the victory, but there's ongoing battles that are still happening. And so with this highlight moment comes this sort of heavy word from Jesus to the disciples. And he calls the name of Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Simon, Simon, Simon was a prior name of Peter. And so Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you. He has demanded you, another version says. And the you there in the Greek is plural. And so though he uses Simon's name, he's actually speaking to everybody who's around the table. And he says, heads up, listen, know this, you will be great in my kingdom and all of its glory. And you will judge and lead and you will rule with me as with any Christ follower today. We are called co-heirs with Christ. 
in the end times in the book of Revelation. But then he looks at him and he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Jesus said. I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And again, the word you is a plural word there for all of them. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So though it's plural, he's still got this personal thing going on with Simon. And what is going to happen to Peter in the coming few hours, just right ahead? Maybe you know the story. Peter replied, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Don't you love a zealot? Yon there, man. Let's take it down. Let's climb the mountain. We're going to take the championship. We're going to, you know, wipe the floor with them, man. We're in. Let's go. And Jesus, knowing all things, says what to good old Simon Peter? Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. I don't know, I love Peter because I sort of identify with Peter. Maybe you do. I mean, there's a lot of energy, excitement, and boom. He's as, you know, he's elated. Oh, man, the kingdom of God, we're going to be in it. Yeah, we got rebuked a little bit on that. Who's the greatest discussion? But yeah, you know, and, and, but we're in. And then Jesus says, Satan has demanded you, and he's going to sift you. And no, 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 not me. Not me. I'll go to prison. I'll die with you, Jesus. And have you ever been so bold in your faith, you've said that at one time, and then you look at what happens after that in your life? Friends, we all fall. We all fail. And today, the transformation that I want to see a part of your life is to just have greater understanding in this journey as you seek to be a Christ follower. Because it's unto all of us that we've had these moments of great inspiration, determination. But then Jesus said to Peter, the cock will crow three times and you'll deny me. Highs, lows. Why does that happen today? Well, there's multiple reasons that it happens. It was true of Peter's life. He had pressures from around him. He had the worldly pressures. He didn't want to be called out. He didn't want to be identified with this Jesus who was being crucified. Oh, I'm not one of him. I I don't know him. Get, Get away from me. Because he was fearful. He was fearful because of the pressures of the world and what the world was saying to him. You face those pressures this week. The world telling you to be something or not be something. The world telling you to go for something that's different than what God wants you to go for. And so you succumb to the pressures of the world. And you resist that by renewing your mind in God's Word and the words of Jesus. There's also the idea that there's this sinful nature that we carry why don't we just always sail through and continue on the upward to the right kind of uh, streak in the diagram is because we have a sinful nature. And until we pass from this life to the next, Scripture says that we have one foot in Adam, which is the old sinful nature. It goes all the way back to Adam. And we have one foot in Christ. But when we are clothed with immortal bodies and we are transformed on that final day when Jesus comes again or when we pass from this life to the next, That sinful nature will be gone, but today you wrestle with the sinful nature and you resist it by choosing to live in the Spirit. 
So why doesn't it happen that we just sort of sail up and do everything we really inspire to do for God? Because the pressure's the world. Because the sinful nature's at work. But I want to share with you what Jesus shared with Peter today, and that there's, there's a third force at work. And that is the force of Satan himself working. So let's go back to this first phrase. And let's look at some key things in it. Yes, first, Simon, Simon is personal. So please make this personal in your own life. Please don't think of other people. Think what is going on in my life could be true of this. He says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So let's start with the first word there, Satan. Is Satan real and does he exist? I say to you this morning, Satan is real. Satan is real, and he has a lot of power in this world. He does. But you need to understand this. Satan's not the opposite of God, the supreme divine power, and here's this supreme demonic power. Satan was a created being. We know him as Lucifer, an archangel who tried to do a coup in heaven. We don't fully understand it, but Lucifer and all these, a third of the other angels were cast out of the heavenly realms. They were cast onto the earth, And this is their homeland for now. For now. The back of this book says that their future is to be cast into the lake of fire. And again, come on Wednesday nights and walk through some of the studies in Revelation if you want to know about the end times. But for now, in this valley, we live with the adversary who seeks to wreak havoc. And he has a lot of power. He has a lot of power. Now, it's not something you should be fearful of because the power of Christ has defeated him, but you shouldn't be oblivious to the fact that he can make things happen, not only in your life, but in our community, in our nation, and in the world. And he wreaks havoc, and we need to open our eyes to that. A majority of people believe in the existence of God, but if you ask them about the devil or Satan, it's like, well, that's a little mythical, isn't it? That's a little out there. Friends, we are in the predicament we're in today because we no longer believe in a devil and Satan in many ways. And so we have to somehow pin evil in this world. And so we start to pin it on people and divisions and classifications, races of people, rather than realizing that the adversaries that work behind the scene. And so that's the first truth in this acknowledgement. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. Jesus was talking to Simon and the other disciples around the Lord's table. And he is saying to them, Satan has asked. He is real. He has power. Satan's power, though, is allowed by permission from God. Now, this is a troubling one. If you think about it. God, if you're all power, why don't you just do away with the devil? It's a very good question. But somewhere in his sovereignty and his knowledge, he's actually using Satan. But Satan has to gain permission in one sense from God. Not that he's always going to God and say, hey, I want to do this. Can I do this? But there is some type of filtering that allows him to roam in this world and to wreak its havoc. And so here Jesus is telling Simon and the disciples that Satan has demanded, he has asked if he could do something. And what he is asked to do is if he could sift the disciples. 
Are you familiar with the story of Job? Because it's the sort of the closest I can start to understand as it relates to what happens. I don't know if this is true ultimately in the spiritual realm on every case and those kinds of things. I spent a whole semester once uh, studying the book of Job in school. And believe it or not, you can spend a whole semester doing that. I want to read for you the first part of Job. If you've never heard this story before, and it's not the book of Job, it's Job, his name. Okay? One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. Very well, then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Oh, well, here's a drama. This could unfold as a quite interesting epic movie. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's son, listen to this list. You think you had a bad week? One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sebians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robes, robe, shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I'm not sure that that's what I would do if I had four consecutive words that came to me from different people concerning the devastation of all the provisions and the wealth as well as your own family. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Chapter 2, on another day, the angel came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores and with the soles of his feet, from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And the book of Job goes on. Could it be, could it be that not only does Jesus know your name, but Satan knows your name as well? And could it be that some of the challenges and difficulties and struggles in life that have been currently going on are because Satan knows your name and ask God by name to test you, to sift you? And what would God have said concerning your life? Have at it. Have at it. I have no one like him. And will you respond as Job did? You know, I was thinking about the idea that Judas is around the table when these words are said to Simon. He didn't say, Judas, Judas, Satan has chosen to sift you. I think Satan already did sift him, and he failed. And so he gave in to the temptation of betraying Christ because of his own greed and his own indifference and unbelief. But Jesus says to Simon, you're going to be sifted. You're going to be sifted. It's something that's allowed by the permission of God. And you're going to be sifted in order to test your faith. So third, Satan will shake your life to test your faith. Has your life been shaken? Is it being shaken right now? Could it be that you're just trying to, to grab loose ends and trying to figure it all out? Oh my goodness, what's going on? I need to do this. Just slow down and stop. Maybe through the divine sovereign hand of the God who knows you by name, he has allowed Satan and his dark kingdom and his demonic forces to wreak havoc in your life for the purpose of testing you. Now, you need to catch me with this, especially if you're new. You're going like, what kind of church did I walk into? I am not a person who believes that everything's to blame on Satan. But I'm also not naive to think that he does not rule in this world. And his demonic forces, because Satan can't ever be everywhere at the same time, so his other demonic forces, which are fallen angels that wreak his havoc and do his destructive bidding... They are at work in our world. 
They're at work in our world in all kinds of crazy ways with the unreason and the insubordination and the hate and the violence we see going on as stronger capacities and closer to home. I probably shouldn't say this, but my college that I graduated from actually made national news yesterday and not for a good reason. I graduated from a small Christian liberal arts school in the Midwest called Taylor University. It's a great school. I got a great education, good friends from that time. But the vice president of the United States was speaking at the commencement, which is a big honor for a small little school. The vice president, Mike Pence, is from Indiana. He was the governor of Indiana. I didn't know him personally, but several people that worked for his administration were part of my church. He is a very Christ-centered, seeking God kind of person. Now, you may not agree with the politics of the administration, the current administration, those kinds of things. That all can be fine. You can debate that issue. But here's my thing. Why would, in a Christian liberal arts, a couple dozen students get up in the midst of the commencement and some professors and walk out on the vice president of the United States just to make a statement? That's why we were in the news, because there was controversy. You would think that that's a safe place. But in all kinds of ranks... I'm just like, well, let's think through this. Four years of education and you choose to allow something, you want to do this to make this kind of statement and then you don't have a graduation? And isn't there some insubordinate about a faculty member getting up and walking out of the commencement? It's a Christian institution. And again, I'm not into a political world with this statement. I'm just like, what's going on with this disrespect in our world? And the violence and the hate and the evil and, 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 and the gunnings that we see and other kinds of things that happen. It's not just because we live in a world that's broken and we're sinful people. I believe that there are engines underneath from a demonic realm that are seeking to wreak havoc and destruction. And so for me to contextualize that situation even like yesterday, I'm like, okay, let me right-size this. All of us, Christians included, because I'm sure they had good intents and hearts, those people, at that graduation. Just like I've had good intents and hearts, and I haven't always done the right thing, at least in my opinion, maybe other people thought, whatever. I need to know that there's battles going on, and Satan is sifting all of us, including us in this room. And so, no, I'm not out on a deep end of thinking, hey, the devil's making everybody do everything, or there's a demon behind every bush. But I'm saying, can we open up the idea conceptually that maybe there is a spiritual world and there is a devil who is driving and wreaking havoc in life? Some of you are familiar with this. I actually just finished it up a couple of weeks ago. I sent it off this last week. But I got my dissertation and my doctorate project done, so I actually get to graduate in June. I'm pretty excited about that for my doctorate program from Fuller Seminary. And I printed it out after writing it online for so long, and it was that thick. And guess what my dissertation is on? Freedom in Christ, spiritual deliverance, and a disciple-making and missional-sending world. And so I sort of came out of the closet about this stuff. What I mean by that is I'm going to talk about it in open environments like this. Why? Not because I'm weird, but because I'm a Christ follower. And Jesus said to Simon, Satan is going to sift you. You need to be wise. And I think we as an evangelical body, if you are a Christ follower, we need to be mindful of this, not over the top, weird about it. I'm not saying that. But could we give a little bit more attention to it? Because he is winning the day, the adversary is in our world and in many people's lives. That video from Thailand, you watch something like that, when a mother is going to sell a young daughter into a brothel, 
the other sister steps in and says, take me. There's dark stuff happening all around the world. Human trafficking is now a part of this country in many ways, sadly. Where does this stuff come from? Because the adversary is at work and he's sifting us. And he's maybe sifting you this morning. Some of you know I come from the Midwest. That's, do you know what that is? That's a combine. I've been told once again, even by my son last night, Dad, don't do it. Farm illustrations don't work in Southern California. (laughs) That is a combine. That's combining soybeans. There's corn there in the background. I grew up with a family. They're actually trying to get crops in right now, but it's raining crazy amounts in the Midwest, and they've not even been able to plant yet. 8,000 acres of crops. We plant in the spring. We harvest in the fall. Those machines, our family has three of those machines, and I've driven machines like that some. They don't trust me now because they have too many gadgets on them. (laughs) But it's harvesting. Have you ever thought to yourself, if you saw something like that, maybe not, how does it go from being what's in the field to what's in the top of the combine, which is the grain? What's inside that machine? This is what's inside that machine. A lot of guts. There's a big rotor inside this machine that it takes it in and just starting to tear it up. And then there is a whole series of sieves. And these sieves are shaking out things. And what's it shaking out? It's shaking out the chaff and the clutter from the real grain. And so it finally gets down to the bottom and the grain's at the very bottom and it augers it up and put it in the tank. And then the tank combine goes and dumps in the truck. It goes to be sold. That's a combine. That's what's inside the combine. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. (laughs) The chaff goes out the back end of a combine. That is one of the sieves. Now, Jesus didn't know about this sieve, or he didn't refer to that when he said sifting. But those things are going back and forth. I used to have to climb up on those sieves and put my body up on them to clean them out sometimes because we'd get late and it'd get snowy and those things would all gunk up. When Jesus said to Simon Peter that Satan was going to sift him as wheat, he was thinking of how they would sift it in those days. But when I think of it, I think of, oh my gosh, I'm going into a combine. And I'm going to be ripped apart, and it's going to be shaking me up and down. And do I come out well, or do I go flying out with the chaff? Where's the good stuff at? And so Satan, as he's working to bring destruction in this world, comes along each of our lives and he shakes our lives for the purpose of testing our faith. And that's what we see with the rest of that passage. The sifting of Simon Peter and the others is Satan's effort to destroy their faith. And this remains Satan's main goal today. It is relatively unimportant to Satan whether you are healthy or sick, rich or poor. What he wants is to sift out our faith. If if he can do it by suffering, he will try that. If he can do it by wealth, he will try that. And you go on down the list. He will try anything to sift you for your faith. So fourthly, I just want to say this. Why does God allow this? doesn't make sense. Somewhere in his sovereignty, he allows it to happen, and I believe for this reason, in part. Sifting betters Christ's church and brings him glory. 
Scripture's true that <clears throat> persecution, affliction, and temptation are allowed in our life for us to become stronger and to persevere and have more of the character of this Jesus servant that's the Messiah, who we will co-reign with Him. And so this is boot camp. And God is allowing things to test our lives. What's going on in your life that you've not turned to Him to think, oh, could this be a test? Is God wanting to change my life? Or do you curse God and walk away? Don't do it. Ask Him. Show me, Lord. This trial, this temptation, this health element, this financial explosion in my life, this brokenness in my family, why is this being allowed? Well, there's evil in the world. There's sinful natures at work on behalf of a lot of other people. But God in His sovereignty can use it. He can use the sifting of Satan to make your faith deeper and broader and richer for you to worship Him more, for you to be embraced to His grace more. So many things can come by the way of it. He goes on and he says this, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I want you to know this. This is my key thing for you this morning. If maybe you're going through challenges, this is pretty powerful stuff when I go back and just isolate on this verse. Jesus prays for me and will never let Satan destroy my faith and bring me to ruin. Jesus not only knows you by name, but he prays for you by name. Do you have people you pray for by name? Oh, I got my prayer list. I'm going to go through my prayer to pray for my, my, uh, my family members. I'm going to pray for you know, my friend. I'm going to pray for my kids. And you pray for them by name. On Jesus' prayer list is your name. He prayed for the disciples. Another passage says it's not only for these disciples, but those who come to know me through their witness, it says in John 17. He knows you by name, and he prays for you by name. And he will never allow Satan to destroy you and your faith. That is good news. Amen? You need to go and dwell on that verse, as I had the opportunity to this week. But I have prayed for you, say, uh, you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know, Jesus, I don't know what happened when he saw Peter after the resurrection fully. You know, he had this encounter with him where he reinstated Peter. But I don't think Jesus got up into Peter's face and rebuked him and says, What were you thinking? Denying me three times there, you wimp! You said you'd go to prison and die for me! What was that? Can I show you a video of it? <laughs> no. It was a moment in time failing of Peter, just like you have failed. Don't run from God if you've failed. He wants to reinstate you, and he wants to use you. He wants to take those things that were broken in your life, as we saw in the video, and use them to good to reach out to other people. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. When you have turned back, Peter, to me, you're going to strengthen other brothers and sisters in the faith. What a blessed work. How do we know that about Peter? Because Peter himself wrote in a letter, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ho-ho! <laughs> do you think he learned? Watch out! He's roaming! Where have you been, Satan? 
just roaming back and forth on the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? What about Simon? He's testing, and he knows that he's a roaring lion, but he's on a long leash. You ever pull your dog back when they're trying to do something they shouldn't do on a walk? He's pulling Satan back on that leash. He will not allow you to be ruined and destroyed. But he prowls around, and he's looking to devour. And Peter then just simply says this, and it's the word to you today. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So there it is. That's just the simple exhortation. Heads up today, you have an enemy. He's a devouring lion. He seeks to destroy you. He's going to sift you, guaranteed, if you're a Christ follower today, to test your faith. That testing God's going to allow to make you a stronger person and to use you to be able to help other people. What you need to do right now in the thick of it, when you walk out of here today, just resist him and stand firm. No, I will not curse God and die. I will bend my knee. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Revelation 2.10 says, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. He says this to the Christians in the church of Smyrna. Is he saying it to you today? Called by Jesus called to Jesus, called to obey, called to serve, called to suffer. Joan, the team, if you'd come, I'd like us just to do a simple refrain of that last song we sang about coming to the altar. And though we don't physically have an altar here, you can make an altar in your heart to come to the Lord Jesus. If there is some brokenness in your life, let him know. If there is some battle that's going on by the sifting of the devil, cry out to him and choose to resist. If I can give you one last exhortation in this, you need to pray and you need to pray fervently if you're under temptation and a trial, but you also need to speak out loud and rebuke Satan and let him know he's defeated. He was defeated at the cross through the power of the resurrection. He has no rights over your life, a family member, a friend, and you speak it out loud. And you say, get behind me, Satan. You will not destroy my family. I bind you with the chains that Jesus Christ would give because you are a defeated foe. You have that power and authority in Christ to not only pray, but to fight spiritual warfare. May you resist him and may your faith grow deeper in him. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. Let's sing this as we close in affirmation.